Welcome to the Government Huddle with Brian Chittister, a new podcast from Government Marketing University. My entire career has been dedicated to marketing in the government space. And in the beginning, I never cared about the why. I was completely focused on the how. It was all about the tactics, the analytics, the ROI, rinse and repeat. Then I decided I wanted to understand these programs and technologies the same way our customers do. It opened up a whole new world for me. And that is what this show is about, aligning the why with the how, taking a deep dive on current trends, making bold, educated predictions about the market, learning from expert guests, and discovering innovative concepts on how to respond to all of this. So join us as we talk about all things government marketers need to know about today, tomorrow, and beyond. Come on, let's huddle up. If as a as any company or an entrepreneur, entrepreneur, anybody who's putting out a message that the first message, the word is we or I, doesn't play, doesn't fit. It's not about you. And people say, oh, well, my benefits, the benefits that my product has are all about the, the buyer. They're all about the user. No, they're about your product. They're about what your product does for that user. Whereas today, what you have to do, I believe what you have to do, is demonstrate how the buyer will feel when they use your product or use your offering. All right, guys, welcome back to the Government Huddle Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Chittister. And like most people, I've developed some really great relationships with coworkers that I respect over the course of my career. And my guest today, Zach Messler, is definitely one of those people. But I got to be honest with you, I had to get amped up for today's show because he brings a lot of energy. Any guy that promises to bring the boom shakalaka for his customers, I think you'd expect no different. If you go over to his website, ZachMessler.com, I think you'll find just by the, the pictures he's got posted that he's an energetic guy. A few years ago, he jumped from his corporate career to set off and create something special. And I think he's done just that. You guys are going to get a lot from today's episode, I think. Welcome to the show, buddy. Glad you could join us. Yeah, Brian, so happy to be here. This is super fun. Yeah, I'm glad you could be a guest. And I want to, one of the things that I found really cool that you mentioned to me is you are an announcer at University of Maryland. Tell us what sport. And I, I want to know, yeah, I want to know what's the coolest thing you've ever seen on the sidelines as you've been uh, calling Oh, sure. <laughs> so, well, I started out, I mean, I've been doing it for years. I think this past year was my 18th or 19th season. So I'm, I'm the voice of, of Maryland women's volleyball. I started out in baseball. I did baseball at Maryland for 10 years before they were any good. Now they're great. They, oh, I didn't even realize to, you did baseball. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. I started out doing baseball. That's actually a fun story. Um, and I saw they were at the time, they weren't in the Big Ten when I was doing it. They were in the ACC. And ACC is just an unbelievable oh, baseball. baseball conference. Yeah. So I've called, you know, Ryan Zimmerman plays for the Nats. Um, played for here. UVA, right? Yeah, he played for UVA. So they came in, announced him. You know, there, there's several current major leaguers, maybe not so current anymore, but major leaguers that I've called. But the best part or the most fun part about volleyball is it's not even one moment. It's the difference between calling baseball and calling volleyball. It's totally different communications. So baseball, it's very straight. It's, you know, now batting, number five, Brian. Brian. Yeah. I don't even know yeah. how. I, yeah. 
and and uh, volleyball, your job is not to inform the crowd like it is in baseball. Your job is to incite the crowd. <laughs> and so the most fun that I've ever had in volleyball is coming up with these wacky calls. So I do these wacky calls and you can get away with stuff doing public address for volleyball that you'd never get away with doing baseball. So it's not radio. It's just you're the in-stadium voice. So I started a thing probably about a decade ago where I'd pick a player or two and just come up with these wacky calls that rhyme with their name. So, for example, there was an outside hitter, which is a if you don't know volleyball, outside hitter is a main attack position. It's the main offensive position. And and so there was an offensive hitter or excuse me, an outside hitter named Jade Brown. And Jade Brown had a leap like Michael Jordan. It was unbelievable. She'd like jump in the air and she'd be there for like, you know, a minute or two, it seemed. And in volleyball, there's something called the 10 foot line. When you're playing the back row, you're behind the 10 foot line. Jade, and if you're in the back row, you cannot hit, you can't attack in front of that 10 foot line. And it's 10 feet from the net. So Jade Brown consistently would have kills from behind the 10 foot line. So the call would always be Jade Brown from downtown. <laughs> super, Got it. super fun. Super, the, super the, fun. Uh, the Chris Berman treatment. I like it. Oh, it was super fun. So it's been, a, it's been a few years since you and I have worked together when we were at Appian. Um, but I know when you left, you, you went off to start your own company and it started off with some content generation, but it's kind of, uh, evolved into something different. Why don't you tell us what you've been doing and how that's evolved? Yeah, sure. So yeah, I started out doing content creation and I got to an inflection point where I either had to start hiring people or I had to pivot and give it up. And I, I didn't really dig it so much. It just, you know, at first it was great, but then it just became a burden and a chore. Just instead of having essentially one client or one boss where I worked, I had 12 or 15 or 20. And it was just, I didn't really want to do that. I wanted the creative work. I wanted to work in messaging and positioning and communications, but I really didn't feel, I, I didn't really feel the, the, I don't know, the juju, the, the good vibes, just constantly yeah. pounding out content. And so I gave it up. I, I have a friend who has an agency. I passed my clients along and, and, then I became an advisor. So I have a messaging, uh, uh, it's really a product marketing advisory service called The Sounding Board. And its focus is on, mes in, on messaging and positioning. So we work through how to connect with a buying audience and how to convert sales. And really it's, it's attracting buyers, connecting buyers to the value, the incredible value of your offering, whatever that offering may be. But there's there's definitely core foundations in that that are product marketing that people either forget, never know, or completely ignore. I know you say conventional wisdom, and that's something you you strongly believe. And I, when I hear you say that, I kind of think of disruption, and you think of Silicon Valley disruption. You walk into a company and. Uh, Everybody there, the mission there, right? It's it's disruption. How can I make whatever the status quo is better? Um, but when you say conventional wisdom is out the window when it comes to messaging, what do you mean by that? 
So especially in tech, yeah, especially in tech, messaging seems to be always focused on the tech, on the capabilities. And if not the capabilities, not the features, then on the benefits. And conventional wisdom is you, know, you sell the benefits or conventional wisdom is sell the problem. But that misses. It misses so much. Uh, when you're when you're focused only on your product and the benefits of your product, even the benefits for your audience, it's not about your audience. And that's not how people buy anymore. And, and that's why I say conventional conventional wisdom is off these days. When you say when you say that's not how people buy anymore, how do people buy now? What's it's not about that? it's not about you. It's about me. It's this is this is the selfie world. This is we live in a in a I don't want to say narcissistic because I think that word's been absolutely trounced. But we live in a me 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 world, mm-hmm. and and so no one gives a crap about your product. Nobody cares about it until they do. And if you're constantly putting a message out to market that's about how amazing your product is, even if it is amazing, you're going to miss a core part of your potential market share, that audience that isn't aware that they have that problem or isn't aware that they there's a solution out there that can address their problem. It, yeah. It's looking at things from a holistic buyer journey perspective and not just where a lot of companies still fall on the why us. I was talking to uh, an analyst who specialized in kind of customer experience or citizen experience. And one of the things that, that kind of resonated with me is he said, people just aren't designing for emotion and that's what they need to be doing. They, it, it needs to evoke an emotion or at least understand what the emotion is when they're coming to your site, when they're coming to experience what you want them to experience. So when you're working with these companies, are you bringing that into the strategy you're working for? With absolutely. Them to build? Absolutely. A hundred percent. Emotion is key. Emotion is key. How do you strategize for that though? Cause it's not something, you know, your audience, I, you know, your yeah. audience, Really, it's it's becoming your audience. It's more than just the research. You know, that's the other thing, you know, conventional wisdom, right? The mm-hmm. the dirty little secret in marketing, especially in tech, and I've been out of tech, you know, in out of the corporate world of tech for a few years, but I still work with tech companies. And the the dirty little secret in marketing is people say they do audience research, but they don't. They maybe they do it once. You know, they they drop some personas that are based on demographics, but for the most part, and there there's certainly outliers. There's certainly people out there, maybe even people listening, that say, "Oh, we do, we do personas, and we go deep, and we understand the psychographics, and we understand the demographics, and we understand how our audience feels when they are dealing with this specific challenge." But most companies don't do that. The key, one of the keys to effective messaging, one of the keys to effective messaging is understanding your audience so well that you're you're pulling in your audience's words and you're throwing it back at them. And that's how that's how you're able to just truly connect with an audience. You gain that trust like that. For these companies, how do you work with them to build out personas? Because when I look at it, um, and most obviously I'm I'm doing business with the government, right? So I'm taking a look at personas specifically around the tech uh, arena. 
one of the areas I actually start with, and this is something I'll, I'll tell people because it, it was a, when somebody told me this, it was kind of a light bulb is I'll go to job boards. I'll go to indeed.com oh, and sure. I'll start there and take a look at what their responsibilities are. And then secondarily, once I figure out what their responsibilities are, I'll, I'll look at job titles and then I'll go to LinkedIn and figure out some more attributes about them. But to me, I think of that as it's kind of a, a quick and dirty way to create these personas and understand them. When you work with these companies, how are you really building these out, these full-fledged personas that they can market to? Sure. So you have indirect customer or, or audience research and you have direct mm -hmm. audience research. What you're doing is indirect audience research. So indirect is going to the job boards, understanding the job. It's going to LinkedIn profiles and, and getting to know a, a type of persona and, and the type of content they post and maybe even the words that they use. It's even maybe stalking them on Facebook. I use stalking loosely, but stalking <laughs> them on Facebook or going to different places, understanding where they're hanging out online and then sure. going and, and checking that stuff out. That's all indirect. The other piece that's that where all the magic is, especially the emotion, is direct feedback. Direct feedback is surveys, and it doesn't have to be some you know expensive brand market survey or something like that. I I use Google Forms and we'll send mm -hmm. out surveys and pick out people and send out surveys. But it's asking questions, and then it's also having one-on-one -on -one conversations and calls. Or even Zooms, you know? I mean, it's it's having these conversations and asking open-ended questions. Yeah, I found a lot of the great insight can come when I'm meeting with customers too. So I can- hundred percent. I kind of package that together. It's, it's to me, you're pulling from disparate uh, areas of information and kind of creating that, that look of what that person uh, feels, thinks, needs, what their missions are. Um, all that type of stuff aggregated into one buyer persona. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I did really everywhere I went as a product marketer, every company I worked for, and especially at Appian, and then, and then had folks on my team start to do it too, is go on sales calls. If you're, mm -hmm. if you're a marketer and you want to learn more about your audience, it's, not, it's, it's good to listen. It's good to have a conversation. It's even better if you're going on sales calls, live sales calls in person. If you know these days on Zoom, I guess, but yeah, but in well, person, that, that's if actually if it's on Zoom, it makes it even more uh, accessible. Sure, for that's you exactly, to, for you to be on, exactly right. on more of them. Yeah, but then just and then just watching, just watching mm -hmm. and listening because you can. You can hear things, but you you see reactions and you can see things that happen. You know, a, a sales guy or salesperson starts to go down a path that isn't resonating with the, the prospect. You can see it. If you're on a call, you can't always see that. You mm -hmm. can see that. You know, you can see if I remember there was there was one guy um, at Appian that, uh, you know, one of the first sales calls I went on. And he was so nice and he let me come on and, and he was, he did very, very well. And I went on this first sales call and the dude did not read the room at all. It was mm -hmm. amazing. He's just, he had his, his pitch. He did his pitch and he was not reading the room and people were checking out. He was oblivious to it. And I gave him that feedback. And he's like, wow, I, I never knew that. 
that, you know, but you wouldn't, if, if you don't go, if you don't pay attention, you're never going to learn that stuff. I think that's a good point. And we had talked to emotion in marketing and wanting to evoke emotion out of our customers. But a lot of our listeners are focused on the government and sure. of all markets. I think I would say that's probably one where emotion doesn't always play into what that final buying decision is, right? You have, uh, you have the RFI period. You're trying to inform those RFPs. Everything's very technical. It goes to a contracting officer. Decisions can get made on LPTA and then you move, you can move forward. But I actually feel like emotion does play into that because it, it really, it, when you're, when you're trying to get that influence, you want those people to feel a certain way about your brand. You want them to feel confident that um, that what they're buying is secure. And I don't mean from a cyber perspective, but secure in the sense that they're purchasing it. It's going to do what you say it's going to do. They want to feel that confidence in you. They want to feel that confidence in the solution. But when you're talking to somebody who does say, well, yeah, my market is very technical. It's very it's very blocking and tackling, and I don't know if emotion really plays. How would how would you communicate the value of emotion to somebody like that? Are you selling to a robot? Sometimes it feels like it. <laughs> it may feel like it, but are you selling yeah. to a robot? Because if you're not yeah. selling to a robot, you're selling to a person. I mean, it sounds kind of she she, right? But mm -hmm. but or, or you know woo woo. But if if you're selling to a human being, a human being has emotion. And they may not show it. And I mean, I can think of a whole bunch of of, of people in, in my past, yeah. especially in like the military, who not showing emotion, not mm -hmm. especially not showing emotion on a sales call, but it's there. It's absolutely there. So in, in your role now, you work with a lot of different companies, small, medium, large, B2C, B2B. What patterns have you seen that have crossed over between these companies when you're working with them? Are, are there things that you've seen that B2C companies could learn from B2B companies and vice versa? The, the biggest thing is, and I work mostly with B2B, okay. uh, not as much B2C, but I, I think B2B can learn a lot more from B2C than vice versa. Um, it's understanding that, and this has been going on really since the advent of the iPhone, it's been evolving, but understanding that everyone is a consumer, everyone mm -hmm. is a consumer and it does not matter. It's com more complex in B2B. You're not selling to a single consumer more often than not. You're selling to a buying group or you're selling to, you know, you have to convince the, the purse holder and you have to convince the, the contracting officer and you have to convince the user, or the person in charge of the users, and you have to get the buy-in from all the people that could be the users of the technology presuming you're selling tech, mm -hmm. but all of those people are consumers, every single one of them. And the way that they buy anything is at the highest level, exactly the same at the highest level. Certainly buying in government's different than buying in, in uh, the corporate world, private sector, buying, going out and buying a, a pair of expensive sunglasses is different than buying a multi-million dollar software license. It, it, sure. But at the highest level, we're all consumers. And that's what B2B can learn. Um, some companies have done that. Some companies have. And you can tell, you know, I can tell immediately if 
a company is going to get quick benefit from working with me if I go to their website and the first message they have is either about them or even more so about their product. And how do you get buy-in there to, to get that switched on its head? Because that, to me, that's a, that's a paradigm shift in how they approach the it, market. Right? It is a paradigm shift and I'm still figuring that out, dude. <laughs> yeah, I'm still figuring that out. I mean, really, it's usually for me, it's having a champion somewhere in there who is a little renegade and then we we try something that's not really front and center, show that it works, and then expand from there. So one of the things that's worked for me in helping companies you get this right is mm -hmm. it's happened a few times where I'll come in on a small project where I am doing content creation. I'm writing cold emails or I'm writing emails to support inbound activity. So someone signs up for... A, a white paper or something. What does that funnel look like? What, is, what are those emails? What's that email sequence look like mm -hmm. that, that they're then going to receive? Well, yeah. And I um, asked because you probably have people that you either have a small company where you have maybe a director of marketing that's uh, a single person doing the job and they might go to their CEO and say, hey, I think we need to completely shift gears and go here. Or even on a large company where you have somebody who can go to their, their head of marketing and say, hey, I think our messaging might be off. And it, it, giving them an approach on, on the best way to communicate that. Sure. Well, so smaller companies, for me, I've found smaller companies, it's way easier than bigger companies. Way, way easier to get Well, they across. could be more agile, right? Yeah. And they're open often, at least the companies I've worked with, are, are often more open to trying things out, um, to staying up with the times. Bigger companies, you know, it's usually focusing in on a business unit first you know, the marketing director at a business unit mm -hmm. who, you know, might be reporting to the VP of the business unit or the VP of marketing at the business unit. But once you show the impact of how this style and this change, even in emails, can impact conversion rates and specifically drive to, hey, we just generated all these, you know, more leads because we just changed the tone of our email. We said basically the same thing, but we made it more, more informal, more conversational, and more focused from the audience's perspective. And once they're able to see that, well, then it creeps in, it can creep into other areas. And then my goal always, I mean, this is sharing kind of my sales strategy, but my goal always in doing these little projects where I'm creating content is I, I want the advisory piece of it because that's where I have the most fun. And that's just, that's, that's fun. That's going in and doing yeah. workshops and working. Sometimes it's working one-on-one -on -one with sales pros. Sometimes it's working mm -hmm. with a marketing team, but it's, it's, it's almost like I'm a marketing analyst. It's really kind of fun. So, I mean, we talked about that, the small business side of things and how they can be more agile, but sometimes they have an uphill battle then when they're going to government organizations and trying to show the scale and that enterprise scale that they can bring. So if you're working with a small business, what would your recommendation be in, in how to show that scale? Sure. So first of all, that's a positioning thing. Mm -hmm. And so scale, scale has to be a core value. Or, or if not a core value, a foundational element of, of messages that they put out. It's scale. That's one. And so it's having, 
you know, it, presuming they've done it before, and I'll talk about if they haven't done it before in a second. Presuming they have, they have scaled before to however large the the organization is that they're, you know, the agency is that they're looking to sell into. Well, it's creating that case study, and even if that case study isn't a public sector case study, that doesn't matter. You're showing scale, showing scale. Um, there are ways around the that whole industry thing. It's funny because I mean, industry, different industries certainly have different use cases and different language and and all the you know all mm -hmm. these perceived differences, but. What I found, you know, I was, I've been product marketing for 20 years. What I found is every industry says they're different and they're not really at the core of things. At the highest level, they're not. If you can scale in the corporate world um, securely, safely, then you can scale in the public sector. So one, it's showing, it's showing that you have done that if you have. If you haven't done that, then it's coming up with ways that you can do that because- mm -hmm. The odds are, if you haven't done it before, for public sector, for the government, for a large government agency, odds are you're not going to get that contract. So maybe what you do is you focus instead of that large government agency, you focus on some of the big players who, who could use the tech that you have or could use the, the capabilities that you have and become a subcontractor. So big and, players, you're talking about leveraging the channel, right? Like exactly. So go, to, go to a GSI, go exactly, and, and kind of be part of a bigger solution with a bigger outcome, and then show that scale. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, but it's it's from a messaging and positioning standpoint, scale better be at the you know near the if not at the top near the top of those foundational elements, those core values of what you want to get across. So, so we just touched on messaging real quick. And I, I think I like how you reverse engineer it because it goes straight to the buyer, which I think is exactly right. It's how you look at it. But one of the things you said is that the closer you are to an idea, closer you are to the product, the tougher it is for the buyers to get it. Explain that. And, and sure, what, sure. what do you mean for like the close? I, I get the closer you are. And um, sometimes for me, the closer I am to an idea, the, the less I'm, I'm able to influence it. But what do you mean? it's tougher for the buyers to get. It's tougher for the buyers to get it because if you're really close to a product, you know the ins, the outs, the upside downs, um, you're, you're passionate about it. Um, even if you're not passionate about it, you're just super so well-versed in it, you know every intricate detail. It takes effort to explain something in a way that a buyer's going to get across that buyer journey. So if I know this product inside, outside, upside down, and I'm talking to someone who doesn't really get the problem that they have yet, the problem that this amazing product can address, and I start explaining it, I'm too deep. I'm too close to it. I get too detailed. I'm mm -hmm. sharing everything. You know, one of the common things that happens, one of the kind of missteps that I see happen a lot is when you have someone who's super close to a product and they know so much about it, they're an expert in this product. They feel like they have, when they explain something, they have to make you, you have to understand just as much as they understand. And it's, 
it's a positive thing for them or they mm -hmm. see it as a positive thing. I want to help you understand this product. But when they're going so deep in the product, you lose people. You yeah, lose people. So you got to wait. Actually, yeah. I was actually reading, I, I've been reading a lot of emails that come in from different partners and things as we're, as we're doing more virtual events and we're partnering up with other organizations. And it's always easy for me to see the ones that are good and, and the ones that aren't. And it's generally the ones that aren't are the ones that sound way too technical and way uh -huh. too complex. And uh -huh. the ones that are great are the ones that come in and I, I within 10 seconds, I already have the full concept of what they're trying to get across. It's just simplified. And I think in the technical aspect of it, and you can probably appreciate this because you spent most of your career in product marketing, we get so in the weeds on some of the technicalities of it that we forget that some of our audiences aren't technical. Uh, and they just want the simplicity of it. They just want to simply understand it the way you'd want to uh, teach your neighbor how this thing works. Sure. So yeah. one of the things, one of the things that I I've been doing probably for 15 years. I mean, it really ever more than that now. But ever since I started in product marketing, I I'm not technical at all. I am not technical at all. Um, and yet, I was product marketing guy for tech companies a lot of tech companies, you know? Um, and I had to, I had to essentially teach experienced sales reps how to sell or not really how to sell, but how to, uh, to understand this technology and create messages that they could use in selling situations. Mm -hmm. And I'm not technical. So how did I do that? I asked my, so I asked three questions. I really answered three questions for for every product and really for every feature what is it what does it do and why does it matter and it's it's super high level like what is it is literally what is it it's not mm -hmm. what it does it's not why i care it's not who's going to buy it's just what is it and what does it do literally again what does it do and why does it matter is always from the audience's perspective why does the audience care? Whatever that audience may be, you may have five different why it matters, you know, but why, why does it matter? So I'd put that into a messaging guide for myself. Um, several years ago, I, I, what I would do is I'd print it out. I'd carry it around with me. I had this ratty, it became this ratty thing. I'd write notes in it and everything. <laughs> Once I was at a company that was on agile development, you know, and, and was putting out new releases every quarter, I started updating it every quarter. But a, a couple companies ago, I printed it out. I call it a sales pack now. Um, and I still do that actually for companies. This is one of the things that I do for companies, create the sales pack. So I'd create the sales pack, you know, I, I'd print it out and I'd have it. I started calling it a sales pack because one day I printed it out one of the sales guys saw it on the printer. You know, I'm, I'm going to the printer, pick it up. And this dude is sitting there and he's flipping through it. He's reading, he's like, uh, and he, he sees me, he goes, is this yours? I said, yeah. And he said, can I have it? And I said, <laughs> yes. And he just gave me such great feedback, positive feedback. I started incorporating it into sales training. And, you know, the last company where we, we both were, um, they started using the sales pack 
as part of the onboarding for new sales reps because it just cuts to the essence of the technology. So you can converse about the tech, you can converse about the features, you can converse about the product without really talking about the tech and the features and the product because you understand what it is at a, at a, a core level, the essence. You understand what it is. Mm-hmm. You understand what it does and how it can help the audience, the, the client, the prospect, and you understand deeply the context, why it matters to them or why it should matter to them in the context of their role, in the context of their industry, in the context of them and where they want to go. So as we start to wrap up a little bit, I know you have a, I don't want to, we call it ask me anything, right? You work with your customers. They, Oh, sure. Yes. So, yeah. So sounding board, um, the, the advisory service that I have has a capable or a component of it. That's ask me anything. You ask a question, you get an answer within 24 hours. Well, so I, I, I'm going to give you a, a couple seconds. Um, so I, I have a couple questions want to ask, and I figured it, right, right, it might be some good. Um, one of them is, and I, I, like you said, you spent 20 years in product marketing and in those 20 years, nothing really like COVID has happened. So I want to know what have you learned from, uh, different companies you worked with, or just from seeing other companies operating out there? What have you learned during these past few months into it? Sure. So a couple of things. One, people are resilient. Um, they, they adapt to change a lot faster than they think. That's one. Two, having a differentiated message is important. You know, what happens and acting fast is important, mm-hmm. right? The, the, the quick movers who sent out emails or, or made phone calls or whatever that says, hey, um, you know, I'm checking in on you. I know this is a crazy time, you know, early on, that was nice. After a a day or two, oh my God, you don't care about me. Oh Mm -hmm. my God, this is, this is, you know, everybody's calling me. I'm getting these emails from people who, who I, you know, I don't even remember subscribing to this thing. Oh, I hope you're doing well. You know, so being different, being different, sincere, being sincere. If you don't, you know, half these emails that are sent out, these companies, you know, the people sending these emails, the companies behind these emails, they don't care if people are doing well or not. So you got to walk a fine line, right? Oh, absolutely. And and I absolutely agree with what you're saying because at OpenText, our CEO, one of the things that he mentioned is this is an opportunity where you can really get a customer for life. If you are truly a partner, you're truly there to support them, you can get a customer for life. I agree. I agree with that wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly. But it has to be sincere. It has to be helpful. Mm-hmm. And the only way to get that, to be that, is to be able to take on the perspective of your customer. It's not enough anymore just to be customer focused or customer centric, as people say. It's become your customer. You know, one of the things I say in audience research is it's not know your audience, it's become your audience. Walk around in those shoes for a while. Mm-hmm. So uh, one last question. Um, in, in everything we've discussed, you've 
talked about companies doing it well, companies not doing well. What's a company out there that everybody would know that you think they're doing a really great job at branding, oh. at messaging? Put uh, and on it, the it can spot. Be, it can be B2C. It can be B2B. Um, oh, man. Put, put me what's on a company the you think, spot. That's my job. God, that is like, that's like a stumper. I haven't oh, looked around. I, I should make it harder. I should say you can't say Amazon. You can't say, uh, put, <laughs> yeah, you can't say Amazon. A company that's, man, I don't know the answer to that. And you know what? I'll tell you what, Brian, because in my ask me anything, uh -huh. I say this to clients. If I don't know the answer, I will tell you, I don't know the answer right now, but let me get back to you on that. And so I, I don't know the answer on that right now, Brian. <laughs> so let me get back to you on that. Perfect. Well, hey, um, as we're closing out, I want to give you uh, just a moment to give any final thoughts to to those listening out there. Sure. So, well, first, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. This is oh, pleasure's all on stuff. my side, man. Man, I love this stuff. It's so fun. I get lit up talking about this yeah. stuff. It's so fun. Uh, so, the number one thing that I would share with our audience is, in terms of messaging is you want your message to resonate, flip your message. Make it about your audience at the high, high level. Make it more about your audience than it is about you. It goes back to the first rule of product marketing, which I touched on earlier. The first rule of product marketing is you don't talk about your product. Now, it's nuanced because you do talk about your product. You just talk about it without talking about the name without talking about what it is, without talking about what it does specifically. It's capturing the, those core things like we were talking about scale as a core value before. So, okay, if your product, if the, the, the feature of your product or the capability of your product that you want to get across is scale, talk about scale. Talk about the challenges of scale. Talk about what it looks like when you don't scale well. Talk about what it looks like when you do scale well. You're introducing core concepts. You're talking about your product without talking about your product. Flip the message. I think that's great insight. Thanks again for joining, Zach. Really appreciate it. This has been the Government Huddle Podcast. You can check out more episodes of the show by heading over to gmarku.com or on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or on Twitter at Chittistray B. Thanks for joining, guys. Bye for now.